Good morning. Good morning, good morning. You are listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. I could listen to that. Uh, I could listen to that all day, that music. So, But it is my title music. Big thanks to Michael Ben Hayen for making that for me from his album, uh, the dance album. It's called Suave Connections, should anyone be looking for it. Now, this is a show that covers health and well-being through connection to people, people in our community and people beyond who share with us their experiences, their choices and consequences, and regardless of age their innate wisdom by discerning and getting a sense of what is transferable from what these guests share we can choose to apply the relevant aspects in our lives and in our community and develop programs that found a more sustainable loving and heartfelt way to be with each other thereby improving our physical and our mental health this week's show is the epitome of that it's on dementia and I have in the studio with me, Tim England, a dementia champion. Welcome, Tim. Welcome. Thank you. Now, I um, one of the things that I say right in the beginning is that what we learn in this studio, we can then take into um, our, our practice. And one of the things that I would love people to get out of today is how they can be very practical and apply this in their homes, in their workplaces, in their communities. So it, this really will be a show for anyone who has a community mind and has a, you know, we're all getting old. Uh, we all have the potential to really take this out there. You ready for that? Absolutely. So we um, have an aging population. In 2013, 14% of the population were aged 65 and over. And uh, based on, by 2000. And 53, based on the ABS statistics, 21% of the population will be 65 and older. Now, that's a huge shift in trends and and puts a great pressure on the services needed to support that demographic. The elderly are more likely to present to emergency departments and uh, obviously emergency departments are the higher end of the cost scale for healthcare. More presentations that are actually avoidable. So that means that we need to build services and approaches within the community to better support that older edge um, generation so that they can avoid the injuries and falls and better manage their chronic illnesses. Dementia is not a specific disease. This is a, um, I, I, I actually didn't understand that. And when Tim first came in the studio to explain that to me last time, it's been something I've been very aware of, yet still I get confused. It's actually an umbrella term describing a group of symptoms. It's more prevalent in the over 65 age group with 93%, according to the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, and is characterized by the impairment of brain functions, including language, memory, perception, social awareness, reasoning and cognition. Although the type and severity of symptoms and their patterns of development varies with um, with the type of dementia, it's usually of gradual onset, progressive in nature and irreversible. Those are key things to remember as we go through this show. Now, there's no specific diagnostic test as yet for dementia, and it's often recognised late on in the progression of the disease. And, the, and that's where I would like to go a little deeper to understand the characteristics of this syndrome, to build more awareness and therefore more responsibility in recognising the symptoms, which leads to ensuring earlier access to appropriate support. Tim... Some of the deaths that we hear about with dementia are incredibly sad because they're so preventable. It's the confusion and the illogical decision-making that can be part of the cause of death. So 
have you got any examples of of that and then maybe we could talk about you know how that confusion develops uh, sure. Well, first of all, um, I congratulate you on your work and your research. Uh, since our last meeting, you have done a great deal of study and you have picked up a huge amount of knowledge uh, compared to last time we met. So for well, the first, you have. So I say congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> you could become a dementia champion and expert like ourselves. Absolutely. Okie dokie. But, but what you did pick up is it's not a simple thing to work with. Mm. It's, a, it's a syndrome. It's not a disease. And there's a lot of confusion and misinformation uh, regarding the whole subject. And uh, as hopefully as, as we go on, more public awareness is happening, mm-hmm. more education is happening and that way with that education some of the fear disappears some of the misconceptions disappear and then people start open up okay what can i do with this how can i seek treatment or help or advice Mm. and that seems to be one of the biggest challenges right now as you're mentioning people who unfortunately pass away due to the condition a lot of things can be preventable or at least reduced to help reduce the risk of injuries happening to someone who actually has the condition. Mm. One of the classic ones is driving. I've noticed that, the dri- driving, yes. Okay, um, because a person can get confused due to the condition, confusion like which way is left, which way is right, mm. um, different pedals, you know, which is the accelerator, which is the brake, which is the clutch. Those simple confusion things can happen with someone who's got the condition mm. and that can cause them to have a yeah, not be the best person on the road. A moment, yeah, a moment of confusion, yeah. a moment yeah, yeah. of lack of clarity. Yeah. Um, also, what, the drugs that they take do they 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 can exacerbate it a little bit because it maybe dulls the reflexes. No, actually, um, with uh, contrary to what a lot of people believe, the drugs available are very limited, mm, okay. and there's a very small regime of drugs available, and they only they don't deal with the disease or the disease that's causing the dementia, they just help take off some of the edge of some of the more severe symptoms oh, okay. that someone may present for a short period of time. Okay. That may be for three, six or nine months, mm-hmm. but that's only individualised for that particular person. It's okay. not across the board. And it only affects certain diseases that cause the dementia. It's not across the board at all. Right, okay. So really from a driving point of view, it's the confusion. It's the confusion. Yeah. Which of course, um, when we're looking at the brain structure and how the brain grows and how the brain processes, the frontal lobe is where all that decision-making happens, where where that we process the consequences of certain decisions. So Correct. At the at the back of our brain, we've got this this little bit down the bottom that mm. does all the spontaneous thinking, mm. um, and it also does a lot of the visualization at the back. At the back, right? Absolutely. So yeah. that that's the bit that that sometimes is overdeveloped and then the mm. frontal lobe is underdeveloped, mm. certainly in the teenage years, okay? So yeah. in the oh, growing in the, up process. When, you, when you're making that comparison, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> and I see a lot of similar kind of spontaneous behaviour mm-hmm. uh, without thinking through the consequences mm. with the people that I work mm-hmm. with. So it always, I, I, I often say to the young people I work with, you know, hey, we need to deal with this on the way up mm-hmm. because it's only all going to come back on the way back down. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, where we're not understanding something, where we're learning how to make those synapses, make the connections, let's, you know, let's actually apply ourselves and know that it's got a very good uh, lifelong application mm-hmm. as opposed to short-term thrill. 
Yep, I can see the area that you work in, how it would be quite challenging. Yes. Now, um, so taking it back to cars and bringing those similarities in, it's the same process of... um, Although the confusion is there, is, is there particularly in dementia patients, the decision-making is also impaired, is it not? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, examples can be, I've worked with many individuals, I still work a lot in the community with a lot of individuals and family members helping them out and, and helping them with situations. And it could be as simple as um, walking, walking into a bathroom can completely confuse a person. Because they don't know quite why they went in there or the surroundings? Not, not so much, but they don't recognise things anymore. Ah, OK. Because the, 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 the visual part of the brain is being affected where they can no longer pick up the contrast. So if you're looking at, a, let's say, a white sink against a white wall against a white floor, ah. they can't see the sink anymore. They can't differentiate wow, anymore. and that's the visual part that's of the, the brain visual. that you were talking yeah. about. So okay. something like changing the toilet seat to a dark colour so it now is contrast against the white system and the white um, bowl and the white room, they can now see where it is. And this is part of the challenge for you to create dementia-friendly environments and communities. Absolutely. It's such a broad term. It's becoming more, uh, I was about to say the word popular, that's wrong, more known that people go, you know, dementia-friendly environments. And people think, what is that? It's just creating an environment where that person with the condition and their family feel that person is safe okay. that they can manage they can maneuver around and that can be done in a home that can be done in a cafe mm-hmm. that can be done on a street it can mm-hmm. be done in a shopping center it can be done anywhere uh, 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 i'm working with a, uh, a couple right now she's got an early onset or early signs of a, a dementia and her and her husband and i just working together we're putting up some whiteboards in yeah. the house yeah and on the whiteboard it's got listed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and it just has in detail what things she's doing those days. Yes. So it just helps her remember what's going on. Yes. Where beforehand, you know, she just, she was getting confused what day it was, what are we doing, and that would just add anxiety to her, and that would spread on to her husband. Yes. By now having some structure in place that suits her, yes. creating an environment to support her in her own home, it lessens all the anxiety straight away. Okay, so let's let's come back to that. We've got um, these signs that we're looking for. Yeah. The <clears throat> the language, the memory. So let's let's look at memory because that's one of the most common yes, areas that people go. Oh, the memory's going. I've got mm. dementia. Yeah. Let's just investigate that. Okay. A All right. News flash for everybody. If you forget where your car keys, that's normal. Yeah. Okay. If you if you walk through a room and go, hmm, why am I here? And you and you forget, and then you walk back out and remember, that's normal. Forgetting names of people you don't see very often is normal. We all have a certain amount of short term memory loss, especially as we age. The brain is like any other part or organ of the body. It does get tired. It mm. does wear out. It. Our legs aren't as strong now as we were when we were twenty. Mm. So our brain's the same thing. So having a little bit of short-term memory does occur, or short-term memory loss does occur as we do age, unfortunately. But there is that's actually recognised and measured. And as we get older, there's a certain percentage, small percentage, that will occur. That's okay. Please, so if anyone's thinking or listening going, oh, I can't remember where I left my car keys, that's okay. Forgetting that you have a car 
or what you do with it, that's a different story. So it's, right. the, it's the degree of the short-term memory loss and how it affects their quality of life or what we call the ADLs or activities of daily living. That's the impact. Okay. So if, you, if for example, if a person um, can no longer drive their car properly let's say they get confused between the accelerator and the brake and left and right and what the indicator does that is a significant type of memory loss yeah compared to oh what, what where did i leave my keys are they in these pocket or or they look around the house trying to find them mm. that's so, so it depends on what the impact is on them mm. but short but memory loss is probably the uh, the most common indicator people look at because it's related to Alzheimer's disease. And there's ah. a difference between Alzheimer's disease and dementia. And okay. I want to get that clear. Dementia, as you said earlier, is the umbrella term. It's a syndrome. It's a collection of signs and symptoms that cover a broad spectrum of conditions. Alzheimer's is just one of the diseases that will cause that syndrome. It is the most common disease. Now, depending of your demographics, maybe 60-70% of dementia cases are related to Alzheimer's. And Alzheimer's is, um, the hallmarks of Alzheimer's is short-term memory loss, which is caused by, there's a part of the brain near the ear, on either side of the head, called the hippocampus. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go into all the ins and outs. But the hippocampus is involved with short-term memory production or creation. Right. And once that part of the brain starts getting compromised, or the, the brain cells start to die off or get affected by the Alzheimer's disease, hence that's going to start affecting their short-term memory. However, memory loss is not the only indicator. Uh, there are cases of a dementia that doesn't affect a person's short-term memory whatsoever, but it can affect their visualisation. So they start to forget how to read and write and how to spell. Mm. They can no longer recognise words anymore. Gosh. But memory is perfect. Yeah. So it's very individualised. Yeah, which is it's just the anxiety yeah. that comes up with all the mm. things, the stress level. And again, when we talk about memory, um, stress is a, a oh. plays a very large part. So yep. if I would say that if you're not sure, the first mm. thing you need to do is reduce the stress in yep. your life. Um, and and always seek medical support just to clarify because yeah. the earlier we catch the th- these things, the better. But our own ability to be the difference that we want to see Absolutely. in our own lives is has to be front and centre because yeah. we'll see a doctor for an hour. Yeah. We're with ourselves for 23 of those other hours and, mm-hmm. and, you know, multiply that however many times that we need to. We were talking off mic, which I think is such a, a, a good... Uh, conversation to bring to to our listeners this morning about our capacity. So I always think of our um, my computer. Mm-hmm. If I have a whole load of programs open and I'm working on lots of different things, dare I use the the rude M word multitasking? Oh yes. Um, it reduces my capacity on the computer. The brain, the functioning starts slowing down. Just as my brain starts slowing down, very and good my, analogy. Yeah, my efficiency slows yeah. down when I'm trying to multitask and not actually completing mm-hmm. one job or paying attention in the moment to the job that I'm doing. You had a fantastic analogy. You go for it. There was another okay. one. My analogy is a filing cabinet, the old-fashioned filing cabinet. Yeah, yeah. Um, imagine a filing cabinet is like your brain. Okay, as we take in memories, and and your your brain's taking in memories all the time. 
You may be, you know, even when you're walking, even right now sitting here in the studio, the brain is taking in stimulation through my eyes, through my senses, through my ears, and, and the brain will be going, do I keep that bit of information and store it or do I get rid of it? So it's doing that all the time. You have no conscious control over that. Okay, that's fine. That's the way the part of how the brain works. But as that stuff gets filed into your brain, which is I like to call a filing cabinet, it slowly but surely is going to get fuller and fuller and fuller. And over your lifetime, that filing cabinet doesn't get any bigger. Your brain physically doesn't get any bigger. You start stuffing more and more and more, more stuff in there. So you can imagine what it's like trying to recall some of this information. Imagine going to that filing cabinet and it's full of papers. You know what you're trying to find is in there, but where is it? So you open up the drawer and you start flipping through all the files. You think, I think I know where it is. I think, And it's going to take you a while to find that one bit of paper. You'll get there, but it may take you a bit longer when the filing cabinet is full compared when the filing cabinet is less full. That's very similar to our memories. So quite often, and I'll find myself doing this all the time, when I'm going, oh, I can't remember what it is. Have you ever heard the saying, just sit back, relax, <laughs> think about it, it will come, or sleep on it, yeah. or come back to it later, and all of a sudden you're like... Bingo, yeah. I remember now. Yeah. And that's very similar. Sometimes don't overstress it. However, there's, just to get on that subject, there's a lot of other conditions or signs and symptoms that will mask themselves as a dementia, and they're not, such as a delirium. Mm. And delirium is an acute state of confusion, and that can be brought on by stress mm. or by bad diet, lack of sleep, allergic reaction to medications, dehydration and a combination of all those things so just because i like what you're saying about stress sometimes we've got that much going on take some time out sit back relax tune out and just take a few steps back we're going to go into that in much more detail in part four of the program because there is a lot we can do and and sleep and diet and uh breathing um will be hot topics you are indeed listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. Welcome back. We are talking about dementia today and I'm joined in the studio by Tim England, our local dementia champion. Welcome, Tim. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, in the first half, we talked about the symptoms and we uh, went into quite a lot of detail about what you're looking for and how it plays out. We've gave, I think we've really given quite a good understanding of the difference between particularly that it's a sim- it's a uh, syndrome it isn't an actual disease in itself um in this second part we're going to talk about how we're connecting with dementia patients what the research is saying what you're finding in your actual work experience and what we can do, what's working, what isn't working, whether the funding's in the right place. So (laughs) throw that funding word in there, the F word. Um, What's the new research saying about about dementia and, you know, how to connect on that level? Okay, there's, first there's a a huge raft of research out there in in so many different areas. Um, Where does one start? Mm -hmm. Um, Be a little bit more specific. You want... um, Okay, I'll give an example. Studies that stand out the most for me 
are the ones where we notice that someone who is very far gone in the dement in in the dementia they they really they don't recognize their family they're very they've gone into themselves where it brings them back to those moments of connection to recognize the people so an example might be music and and uh recreating uh familiar settings like yeah. where they've got these families where they yeah. go back to their 50s yeah. the other one is massage and mm. touch and connection so mm. i'd love to explore okay. both okay. of those i can help you a great deal there's some great work not just in research but in practicalities happening in this area mm. in the area which we live there's a lot of people out there these are people i work with i know them personally they are uh, specialized music therapists who specialize in dementia and they go to um, nursing facilities or retirement villages and run um, dance and music workshops for all people who are um, in say later years of all kind of conditions and the joy and the connection mm. uh, people with the condition and those even without the condition get just from music therapy the touch the dance the memories it the pleasant memories it brings back up if they do it correctly is just and and that's the thing we as uh, as we age even though our, a person with a condition may not connect out to the outside world the desire to connect is still there mm. the desire to communicate doesn't go away so it's up to the the community their loved ones their family people who work with them and around them to make that connection and that could be just a simple physical touch of the hand it could be a, a reassurance hand on the elbow just to help guide someone it could be sitting down and talking with them not at them but sitting down talking and connecting with the person mm -hmm. having that eye contact all that simple um, body language thing that we do growing up and just learn how to do just be very conscious of that and connect with that individual person and take time the best person I can uh, give you an idea if you want to see that in action is Prince Harry every time you see him on television and he's connecting with someone you watch him he connects with them. He gives them eye contact. He gets to their level. There's physical touch, handshake, whatever it may be. So he's making that connection. That's exactly what we're talking about when we're talking with someone who ha may have the condition to get that connection back in because you're now, what you do, you're cutting through all that fog, confusion of that world which, which they're in. You cut straight through that and connect with that person again. And that internally for them will just brighten them right back up again. Mm. It's it's amazing to see it happen. It is it's a, it's a simple thing. It takes effort, but the reward is more than worth it. I love that. Connect with the person, not the behavior, but yeah. really connect with yeah. the person. Yeah. That yeah. just makes don't, so much don't sense. Don't see the condition. Don't see the con the disease. See the person. Connect with them. So logical, isn't it? it is. Really, Duh. it's not rocket science. <laughs> no. but 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 we don't do it. But yeah, getting the effort to 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 stop and go. Okay, I can maybe only spend a minute or two with this person and I'll make that minute or two worthwhile for them. Yes. That's what it's about. So actually, what you've just shared there is it's not about us and no. what we want to get out of the no. um, interaction. No. It's about connecting with them and seeing what they need in that moment to get out of the interaction. There is a, a, a and I'll, I'll gladly promote these, this organisation, it is a local church, uh, St. Swithin's down at Pimble. And uh, uh, they, every second Thursday of every month, they run a dementia-specific ceremony. 
Oh. Yes, a church service uh, I've attended. It is amazing. It only runs a half an hour, but they will bring people in, people who have any kind of cognitive decline from any denomination. They don't care. It's not important. And it's a full-on church. So, but you can imagine this. People, you go into, it's an old-fashioned church. Mm. With all the smells, mm-hmm. all the, yeah, it's got all the sandstone, the wood. They've got the organ playing. They sing hymns. And I was there one time watching a group, and there's a lady there. I won't mention her name, but she was quite quite advanced with her dementia. So she wasn't really connecting to the outside world. You couldn't really have a conversation with her. But as soon as the organ was played and they started to recite the Lord's Prayer, out it came from her, word perfect. Wow. You, you could not have a conversation with her, but she had the memories and she re- recited it word perfect, the old version. And it was just like, and you could see the joy in her face. Mm. So that they've, they're, they're doing what we're talking about. They're making that connection. And the thing is that positive feeling that individual gets will flow on for the rest of the day. Yes. So it's enlightened them. Yes. And what that also would do, that lowers their anxiety. It lowers the anxiety of their family members. Hence, the quality of life is improved mm. for that individual. That's the bottom line. Uh, the whole idea of caring and helping those in the community with the condition is to improve their quality of life. That's it. It's selfless, actually, yeah. isn't it? We're just going to take a quick break to go to the news. And um, when we come back, we're going to look at, um, you know, maybe some of the ways we've got in, in homes, dementia homes, that we can actually care for people within the community. But when they're in homes, how we they lose that element of touch, which I see quite a bit. So we'll just quickly go to the news and we'll be back after this short break. Welcome back. You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. I'm in the studio with Tim our dementia champion. We've been talking about uh, local, um, a local church called St. Swithins who've been in Pimble, who have been putting in place a dementia-friendly uh, service, which is um, which I didn't know about, so I'll put that on the website afterwards. The area I'd like to go to next is we talk about, you know, what happens when someone gets dementia, you know, whether they can stay in the family home or whether they have to go into a nursing home or um, a facility. Obviously, I, um, I know that you do, in one of your talks talk about family, friends and neighbours, community and the allied health professionals being the people who can keep someone in their home. But there comes a point where it's too much for perhaps the carer and we're going to talk about carers in our next section but uh, when they the fear for me would be that I would put someone that I dearly loved into a home and they wouldn't have the care that I feel they deserve now I'm going to be very careful with what I say here however in my brain the way I have looked at it I see it as the same as you know, putting perhaps my dog in a in a, a home while I go away. I have to pay for playtime. I have to pay for how often he's touched, and I can't bear the idea of having to put someone I dearly love into a nursing home and feeling like they're not going to naturally get the interaction and the touch and the love that they would get in my home. 
Hence, I would probably work, work myself to the bone, which would be completely the wrong way to, to deal with it, than to put, to put them somewhere where actually they might get more support. So what are the regulations? Because I think they're no touch, aren't they, Tim? Mm, Pretty okay. much. Feel free to skirt around the issue <laughs> if, it, if it opens. I will do my very, very best. I'm always known to being upfront and blunt, but I'll also be very... I'll be tactful. I'll, 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 tactful, yes, tactful, <laughs> tactful, tactful. There is a a range of um, nursing facilities or aged care facilities or, or nursing home, um, uh, and the, the titles always has everyone has their own mental picture of what they are. Yes, and yes, there are some that are let's say questionable, but there's an awful, awful la- large group that are extremely professional and moving in that kind of direction where right. the focus is uh, uh, person-centred care. Love and, that and, expression. And there's been a big move in that direction in the last uh, few years where um, it's, it, it's not just part of their, their training, but it's also part of their philosophy that they are a person-centred care facility. Mm-hmm. We're moving away from the phrase of nursing homes. Yeah, it's still being used, but... Yeah, we prefer to say an aged care facility because yes. that's really what it is. Yes. Okay. Now, they're all geared up for different types of clientele and there are there are some budgets involved and, and, and some are more, say, entrepreneurial with their supports than others. Mm-hmm. And I leave that up to the individual's families to make the right choices. But these are the three things I, I suggest to everybody. Do your research, investigate. Um, unfortunately, what, what a lot of families do and there is going to be that point you're saying before where even though the family wants to take care of the individual with the condition as long as they possibly can in their own home their own community there will become a time at some stage in the future where a decision has to be made for the individual and or the family to maybe move someone into more professional care the whole idea is that you start making that choices early you don't want to be in a point of crisis to make that decision because at point of crisis, your range of choices is dramatically reduced suddenly. Okay. So I spend a lot of my time working with some families who have got a loved one still living at home with the condition, working with them to help them start to understand that maybe in the next five or ten years, we need to make a decision to move dad or mum or wherever into a facility. So they start doing their research now. What are the key things you're looking for, Tim? You need to find the right fit for that person. Okay. Example, one client, I'll just make up a name, Bob, I'll call him Bob. Yep. That's not his name. He's very gregarious. He's very outgoing. He's very social. Here, his dementia's coming along. It's progressive, but he's still quite physically fit. Hmm. So he would need a type of environment that would be stimulating for him. Okay. You know, he likes to walk. He likes to be out and about. So him being a facility where he's going to be more housebound or sitting down a lot or what he would feel and this is not the right phrase but he would feel locked in yeah. is not going to suit him no okay? he'd feel trapped he would feel trapped yeah. exactly and increase the anxiety exactly. and the stress when I've worked with another symptoms. client and again I'll use the name Gary yeah. he's like he's very very focused in inward this way down like mm-hmm. he's very very um, I don't want to say he's not social he's okay with his own company 
okay yeah. he doesn't have to go and so he would be like when i've taken him on outings or locations him and i will go for walks or go to a coffee somewhere or uh go to we'll go to um bunnings and walk around bunnings and look at things yeah and he enjoys that but it's more one-on-one it's yes. not that's so he likes that one-on-one stuff yeah. Yeah. where bob likes to be with a group yeah so you look at him you look at care facilities that are going to support the needs of that individual yes that takes time think about this folks imagine you're trying to find a a school for your kids are you going to throw your kids into any school or if you've got choices you can investigate to find out which school is going to suit your kids Mm. or your children's needs best of all Mm. it's the same scenario so if you having thrown that into the mix Mm -hmm. um i've had a situation um where you know i've had one i've thought a school's going to work for a young for one of my children and it didn't and i needed to move them how dis how distressing is that is that for someone with dementia it it can be look any kind of move from their familiar world is going to be stressful I'm, yeah. not, I'm not going to beat around the bush. It's going to be. But there are techniques and methods and people like myself and others, other professionals like myself, can help you with that transition. There are techniques you can put in place to help minimize the fallout of any, any kind of transition. And, um, and I want people to realize this. Just because you may have to put a loved one into a facility doesn't mean you have to keep them at that location. You have every right to move them to somewhere else you think is more suitable. Okay. That's, again, part of that uh, that consumer-directed care, especially with the funding in aged care now from the government, it's no longer going to the, inverted commas, the facilities to manage. The funding goes to the family for them to manage. So if you find that you have got your loved one in a facility A and you feel that they're, with all their promises, they're not delivering what they said they would or you think is suitable, you can move them to another facility. Just like you can change banks. Right. Just like you can change service providers of anything. Yeah. Exact. So don't get caught up that these uh, these facilities say, oh, but, you know, you have, he has to stay here. No. No. No, not at all. But the whole idea is you need to do your investigations early. Okay. So when the time does eventually come you can make the best choice for the family and more importantly for the loved one and their spouse Mm. that is so important i cannot stress that enough Mm. thank you tim i think that gives us a really good um head start the the honesty uh i always talk about being honest it's something that is a theme that runs through the entire series of stay in the loop with lucy and I've been doing a specific series on lying in the last couple of shows that I've done. Um, lying to ourselves, lying to others. <laughs> I tell you, it's unpeeling an onion. I'm discovering so much. Um, in this context, just to really bring the theme through again, um, honesty is very important, not only when we're looking at our own symptoms or, or when we're looking at our own situation. You know, our, is is our hope or is that... Is that care facility actually going to support our loved one? Also, is it is it time to address the fact that if we don't have capacity, if we're getting irritated by needing to spend the time with someone who clearly needs longer to understand and process, 
that we might also need to get a little bit of support ourselves. I mean, I'm a big fan of counselling, a big mm. fan of the local services and, and using them and, and asking for help. Mm. Look, every time myself and other allied health professionals work with these situations, um, we have a theory. And it's not a theory, it's actually a fact. Um, let's say a, a, a loved one has a condition. We are treating two patients. Mm. We are interacting with two patients. Yeah. We are trying to support two patients. We are supporting the individual with the condition and their spouse or their loved one. It may be a daughter, a granddaughter, maybe their husband or a wife. But we, are, we need to interact and treat and uh, put interventions in for both parties because the stress burden that the carer has is phenomenal. It really is. There's a lot of emotional baggage there. There's a lot of emotional con. It's, it's your, it's your husband. It's your wife. It's someone you've known for sixty years of your life. You love them dearly. You don't want any harm to come to them, and you're going to protect them any way you can. That protection, which is valid, a lot of people will end up lying to themselves. Mm-hmm. They're going, "Oh, I can handle this. Mm-hmm. I can take care of my husband or my wife," which is absolutely true. But you've also got to realize that sometimes I can't do it. Yeah, it's you have to be honest to realize there are times you're going to be angry, you're going to be sad, you're going to be uh, revengeful, you're going to be confused. You know, you're going to be scared. What decisions do I make? You need the honesty in yourself to go, I need to get some help. And sometimes that can be just talking with someone. There's an, a raft of uh, facilities and uh, services available, but you've got to be able to put your hand up and go, I need to get some help. I'll use an example right now. I won't mention your names. I'm working with a, a couple right now. She, the, the wife has got the condition. The husband's in complete denial that he can handle it. There's not a problem. Myself and a few other of my professionals are still trying to work with him just to get through his front door to visit him to help him work through what he's got. But he's, he's got, he completely handle it. The unfortunate thing is the stress that he's under, we can see this, he's going to collapse one day. Mm. He's, he's not going to handle it. And what what will happen then is the choices he has will suddenly be taken away from him because the authorities will step in and go, you can't handle this. You, you've now been hospitalised due to your stress level and now your wife yeah. is going to go into uh, emergency care and the choices are going to be limited. Yeah, We can help prevent that from happening yeah. if the families can be honest enough to go, okay, I can't handle this or at least I want, I want to see what help is available. It's interesting. It's similar to an advanced care directive, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, it's forward planning. It's saying, Mm -hmm. look, this may never happen to us, but this is these are the steps that I'd like to take while I have while I can be part of that decision. This is what I'd like. I'm glad you said that. A big part of what myself and my friends do, we are we are advanced care planners. So we're involved very much in that to sit down with families and help them start having that conversation and at least start thinking about okay. What choices do I need to start making in the future? Find out from the loved ones, what are their beliefs? What are their values? What do they want or more importantly, what they 
do not want mm. because I was listening to um, I, me being me I'm always doing some study and research um, the University of Tasmania have just re-released their Understanding Dementia online program even though I did it years ago I'm doing it again because I want to see how it's changed and developed and over 90,000 Australians so far have actually done this free online program called Understanding Dementia it's a five week oh no sorry say nine week three hours a week online MOOC, which stands for Massive Online Course. And one of the main things I just picked up again, already knew this, but yeah. just reinforced it, is that in the last three to six months of a person's life in a nursing facility, if they do have a dementia, there's a lot of inappropriate medical evasive interventions that they don't need. Right. But not just they're expensive, yeah. they serve no purpose and they are invasive for the individual. Yeah. And a lot of times they're done because an advanced care plan is not in place mm-hmm. or the families don't know what to decide. So they'll go along with the medical professions where they're trying to treat a symptom where it may be uh, the, the intervention they're doing is invasive, it's painful, and it's not going to cause any benefit to the individual at all. Well, I'm pleased you mentioned that because we're actually going to do a whole show on that and you've just told me that you need to be one of the guests in that show. Oh. Thank you, Tim. Okay. So forward planning, we'll, we'll put you in that one. Now, when we come back from the break, we are going to be talking about carers and some specific things that we can do to support um, the carer themselves and how the carer themselves can support the loved one in their lives. Um, but before then, we're going to have words by Tim Shearman. You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. I have got Tim England in the studio with me. Welcome, Tim. Thank you for the invitation. We have been talking all about dementia, well, what it is, what it isn't, um, how we can support people in the community at the same time as talking about how we can support carers because I think we touched on that just at the end of the last section about actually being honest and getting some support for yourself. I feel that this section, if we talk about um, how to prevent it, we are also talking about how to support the carers because they are lifestyle changes that we need to make part of our daily living which not only do they prevent ongoing lifestyle illnesses across a number of uh, a number of illnesses um, they actually make for a better healthier life in general um, the major risk factors are diabetes midlife hypertension that's high blood pressure um, midlife obesity physical inactivity depression smoking and low educational attainment some of those things we can do something about um, you know the educational attainment. You know there are MOOCs, there are free ways, there are there are courses run by communities, which are which are still about education. Part of it's about feeling valued. You know, learning how to value yourself beyond what you feel you've achieved or not achieved in your life. So, let's talk about some of those preventable lifestyle. Uh, traps we fall into tim okay well just to give you some background um there again i'm gonna uh, the university of tasmania has just released uh, some very interesting information uh, another program they ran to the general public called preventing dementia and uh, they were based on their uh, programs based on scientific 
uh, research and evidence to support two very important things. There are some um, what we call non-modifiable uh, risk factors that are involved in, uh, in developing dementia, and there's also there's modifiable ones. Just help people understand, um, non-modifiable, yeah, even though a dementia is not uh, caused by age, it is related. It, it is a risk factor. Unfortunately, as our body does age, there, it does increase the chance of developing condition. Mm. And there is a genetic uh, component in a very small number of cases, and unfortunately, you can't do anything about that. Yeah. yeah if you if you have a genetic uh, predisposition towards it, well, that's that's our genes. Although, Tim, epigenetics, mm-hmm. we do have the potential to change our genetics. Yes, through we do. our lifestyle choices. Yes, we. we well, yeah, there, there, there's some evidence suggests that, but yeah, not we, completely no. proven. But if there's any possibility, I mm-hmm. say, why sit on our backsides? Why not be on the front foot and give it a go? Yep. But the point I want to get to is that some people go, oh, you know, yeah, there's not much I can do to prevent developing. Well, there are some. There's a lot of things one can do. Yeah. yeah, We've all got a certain risk factor. I'm sorry, as we get older, there is a risk of developing. But there's things that we can do that we can modify in our life that can affect or decrease the level of risk. And you've mentioned those, diabetes, midlife, um, hypertension, obesity, smoking, and, and so forth. They are recognized modifiable factors that we, they are factors to developing the condition, but we have control over those. We can control obesity. We can tr- control smoking. Yes. And, one that, and you've probably heard that comment from time to time where people go, oh, if you l- learn a language or learn an instrument as you go older, that is so true. Ongoing education, learning things that you've never learnt before is a very important part because it's doing a thing called neuroplasticity. Yes. Okay. Love now, that relates to something like someone's had a stroke. Yes. When someone's had a stroke, one of the f- earliest things they want to do, if they can, is get the person moving and mentally and physically active again. Mm. Retrain the brain. Mm. Re- rewire the brain to help recover. That's neuroplasticity. Same thing happens as we age. If you learn an instrument or learn a language or more importantly, learn something you haven't done before. Mm-hmm. Okay. Some people say to me, Tim, oh, I do crosswords. Or I do Sudoku in my life. Is that good? I go, well, yes or no. Depends. If you've been someone been doing crossword puzzles all your life and then you keep doing them in later life, you just keep doing what you're already doing. Someone like me who's never done crosswords because I've never enjoyed them, but I start doing them now, I'm re train the brain, I'm forcing my brain to do something new and different, that will probably have a greater benefit to me than someone who's been doing crosswords all, the, all their life. Tim, I, I, I totally get the, the, the connection with the brain and, and the education of the brain. Do we not also have to build our connection with our bodies though? Because it's actually part of being in the brain means that we're detached from what our body's trying to communicate with us. So if we constantly focus on the brain and the brain connections, the the body gets left behind and the body being left behind is how we get into a situation to have obesity, hypertension, mm. you know, it's our brain that tells us we can smoke. Mm. Highly intelligent people eat all the wrong things. Highly intelligent people smoke. Highly intelli- intelligent people drink copious mm. amounts of alcohol. We can't base it all on intelligence. We have to say that the body actually is far more intelligent than the brain. It, it, we're not necessarily talking about intelligence. It's choice. It's sim- simple choice. H- healthy heart, healthy brain. And that is so true. So, you know, people will make that choice to, oh, I'm going to smoke or not, or I'm not going to exercise or not. That's, that's choices. But 
by by addressing these seven areas, uh, it has been proven that, or the suggestion is that it will have a significant impact on reducing your chances of developing the condition. Okay. So it's you know. Uh, people know we don't have to be rocket science. Say, okay, a person smokes is going to increase their chance of developing lung cancer. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. your body tells you it does not like it. Yeah, so regardless, you, you make that choice to do that or Correct. not to do it. And Absolutely. So this is the thing. So it's all about, and there's been a lot of research now coming back from the UK in the last 15 years to indicate that there is a decrease in the number of new cases of dementia which is related to changes in lifestyle, you know, yeah. lifestyle factors. So yeah. there are things that we as individuals and as community can do to help reduce the risk of developing the condition. It's funny, I'm trying to look through my notes just because I know that when I was writing um, some stuff about today, I was, uh, you know, obviously I come from a mental health uh, I, I, a public health approach to everything that I do when I look at my research and change is really difficult for people and so we think that choice is easy but unless you actually look at where the choice is coming from and why it's coming then sometimes that change can be quite difficult to catch so for example you know that smoking isn't good for you your body screams at you that smoking isn't good for you you have your phlegm you have your cough but it's really hard to change that pattern of behavior. So talking about lifestyle, talking about healthy eating rather than diet means we talk about a way of living. And I believe that it's that way of living that will be the change that we need to see in our lifestyle-related illnesses as opposed to controlling a diet or um, behaviors. We've got to actually look at you know, a new way of living in our day-to-day that promotes a different language. And you've, stu- you've been touching on it there. Healthy living, healthy eating. Yep. Um, it, you know, we don't really need a whole load of research to tell us that fat aggravates heart conditions. It just does. Yes, it tastes fantastic. Same with sugar. But neither do anything for the body in terms of, you know, really building a healthy body for active service. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot, lot, of, um, lot of truth to that. Um... It's where we're going to go, really, isn't yeah. it? It's about saying, okay, we have all of that research. It's, it's really good to, to take the research out of the paper. Mm-hmm. We've got to bring it into our bodies and make our bodies champion where we're going next because if we don't, we're going to permanently be looking at research to give us the answers and actually I believe that it's our bodies that are going to do it and more and more qualitative studies are showing, thankfully mixing with the mixed method and quantitative data to be able to say this is why this works, this is why this doesn't work. You know, you can tell me to go on every diet in the world. If you're trying to restrict what I can do, you're putting me in a box. I'm going to panic. Mm-hmm. Like the dementia patient getting in the ambulance. You are me- you're restricting me. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about lifestyle changes and how we bring those into our lives, walking is a really good way because we're in connection with our bodies. We're able to file the systems in our head. 
Is that something, as you say, you do with your your patients? You take them for a walk? Oh, we being being physically active or just moving. Just the, the simple act of being having movement is so important with mm. with someone who does have the condition. Mm. You know, because it's. Uh, you, you're getting the whole stimulation of when you are walking because you're not just walking indoors, you're walking outdoors. So you're getting the fresh air, you're getting the sunshine, you're getting all the other sensories coming around. It's, and, and it's enjoyable. Connecting with the earth, yeah, nature. It's just, you're, just, you're just being out there. You know? mm. uh, quite a lot of my um, clients that I've worked with and others, just going, going, going for a walk, go for a lovely walk some, sometimes in the sun is just therapeutic. Do you know... I always smile because nature is not stressed. So it's one of the most beautiful reflections that we can have. If you're stressed in nature, you are working at a different vibration and nature just like can't handle it. Whereas if you just chill out, when you walk, your body, it, it, it just slows down because every reflection you're getting is of stillness. Because, you know, the trees aren't racing or running anywhere. You know, the the birds are, are doing what they're doing. The bees are doing what they're doing. But there is no rush to it. There's an order. There's a rhythm. There's a ritual. I find it amazing. I just enjoy walking. But that's just yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just enjoyable. There's nothing to do. Yeah. Yeah, you, and you are you are forced to relax the brain because you're just out there walking. Have you ever um, tried uh, going when you have your brain that's constantly going? A really good tip is to try and walk between two trees. Uh, hopefully, you're in a space where you've you know got a tree-lined street and there's a little bit of mm. space between the trees, without thinking of anything other than your feet in your shoes and the next step you're taking. Have you mm. ever tried that? can't Not say yet. that I have. Give it a go. Okay. Tim, next time you come in, I'm going to ask you about okay. it. Because it's, I, I do it a lot with people who are very, very stressed. And I you know, take them on walks so that you can see, can you do that? And they initially, it's very difficult to do. But at, the more you do it, the more you notice how distracted you are when you're walking. Mm. And it brings a whole different level to walking. It's medicine. Walking can be your medicine if you can consciously do it. Hmm, interesting. Be- yeah, because you can spend your whole time walking, thinking about the email you've got to write or the problem you've got to solve. <laughs> or, You know, you can be just as distracted when you're walking as mm. when you're sitting at your computer. The process of walking is about being in your body. See, that, that's interesting because I was listening to um, a, a, another weird podcast I like to do and it was talking about feet mm-hmm. and how shoes, mm-hmm. how we encase our feet in these coffins. Mm-hmm. And we walk around them. Where through millennia, as we evolved, we never evolved wearing shoes. That's right. We had bare feet, up, probably up to maybe three, four hundred years ago. And um, it's quite interesting. I'm just thinking about it right now. It's just quite interesting that the, uh, and I'm I'm just feeling my my toes in my shoes right now. Going, yeah, they feel restricted. Yeah. Yeah, and then again, how often we get home, we just take our shoes off and our socks off and go, ah, and exercise the toes and stretch them out. That's or right. walk along the sand. Yeah, there's some value to what you're saying. There is. And there, it, it reminds us of the small things that we need to appreciate in life because anyone who's stubbed their toe or broken a toe will know the enormous amount of work that it actually does in our mm. balance and our, um, you know, as you say, being squashed into those coffins. Mm-hmm. They, they do a lot of work that we take for granted. Well, this is going to sound really strange um, tangent, but 
foot care for individuals with dementia is so important. Podiatry service. And again, a lot of carers uh, don't even think about that Mm. because they go, why do they need a podiatry service? Well, we, with our brain being quite conscious, still functioning, yeah, we know. Oh, we, we've got a, a callus, or we've got an ingrown toenail. We, we we know what it is. We'll do something about it. Someone with a dementia may not understand what that pain is, mm. and that will cause their their mobility to suffer dramatically. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so again, good foot care is very important for someone with a uh, with a dementia condition. And you know what? I hate to be a broken record, but it's touch. Yay! Yes, we get to be touched. <laughs> Connection. Yes. So yes. the person who's doing your feet, you know, just appreciating the, the person who's coming in and, and saying to the person who's doing your loved person's feet, mm. please don't underestimate. You are touch in their life. You are yeah. touching them. Please do it gently and feel the the importance of that you know that tenderness that mm. you can bring in that moment you're an important person in Look, their day t- touch is such a therapeutic thing for people with the condition it yeah. is so so i mean it's got to be done appropriately and with the right kind of person in the right environment but touch it's such a it's such a powerful thing it really is Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's go to some music. And when we come back, we might just um, do our last little bit about where we can get more information, where we can get support. We'll talk about your next talk and um, anything else that we haven't touched so far. Coming up to the end of the show now, we're going to be uh, just recapping a little bit on what we've spoken about for uh, dementia. I've got Tim England in the studio with me. Welcome, Tim. Uh, Thank you. And what we have uh, forgotten to talk about in the last little section is sleep and the importance of sleep for um, dementia, dementia, um, but also for the carers. It's the thing that just gets dropped off, isn't it? So tell me, tell me more, Tim. Well, yeah, carers, they need rest. They need, they need breaks. They need sleep. They need respites. They need that kind of support. They've got to, they've got to be able to take time out and relax because they're under um, 24 hours, seven day a week caring responsibility. So um, the carer burden is a, a very crucial thing. And carers or more importantly their families and the community need to recognize that carers do need breaks they do need rest they do need time out to be able to retune their batteries so they can um look after their loved ones to the best of their ability absolutely you've handle life less well Mm. when you have little sleep and you talked a little bit earlier about the filing cabinet Mm -hmm. part of the process of the early part of your sleep is where your brain files what's necessary what isn't necessary what's urgent what Mm. isn't urgent so the moment you cut down on your sleep because perhaps you go to bed late because it's your only time that you've got um that's dangerous because mm. you're actually cutting out the time that, that clears away the decks and makes for a nice... Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the body and the brain need sleep. We just, we need sleep. Yeah. Yeah. And we've got to have restful sleep. 
and uh, we need those you know, six, seven or eight hours, whatever the, whatever the latest medical research recommends, but we need that break. Yeah. And we as healthy individuals need it, uh, even unhealthy individuals, maybe someone with dementia, they need it, and yeah. also their spouses need it. Yeah. <laughs> Sleep, but yeah. we've got we've done a whole show on sleep, mm, so imagine. I'm just going to keep referencing that one. <laughs> okay, so where can we get more information and more support? Okie dokie. Well, um, I have a website. It is called dementiachampion.com. Uh, you can uh, contact me there. You will have a raft of information and also uh, links to other organisations that can also render a support. Uh, and I'm not going to list them all right now, but that's your that's your portal. So again, dementia. That's easy. One one website, dementia. Yep. Dementiachampion.com. And okay. that will just send, send you there. Uh, we also, with the um, kind support of my local Rotary Club, the Rotary Club of St. Ives, and our local council, the Kuringai Council, we run regular free dementia education workshops to the general public. Our next one is this coming Thursday evening uh, in Pimble. Uh, at the moment, we tend to run them once a month, but we are, uh, due to popular demand, they are going to be increasing shortly to hopefully maybe even one a week somewhere within the community, somewhere in the Karingai area. So uh, they are being very well received by the general public. As I said, they're free and they are just designed for people to get the facts on dementia. Yeah, We have a lot of uh, people who turn up who are carers individuals may have the condition also people the general public um i've had local politicians business owners um council representatives to get greater information on this subject so Good. we're building that community that's awareness. fantastic everybody's asking everybody yeah. to knowing that something yeah. important because happening. regardless of what's what's going to happen in the future the number the number of cases are going to increase in this local area the community needs to understand so how they can give support mm-hmm. to the individuals and their families Beautiful. Well, I'm very pleased. So just to remind everyone, this Thursday, 3rd of August at Peter Canisius House in Pimble from 6.30 to 8, you get light refreshments, but it's worth booking. Um, and you can book by going to uh, ringing Tim on 0406 764 to reserve your seat or go to try booking um, forward slash, hope you've got a pen, I will put the link up on this to my website, 30451. So trybooking.com forward slash 30451 and that will take you to the actual booking area um, so they can make sure they have enough seats and enough refresh- refreshments. Thank you so much, Tim. Thank you for the pleasure. It's been lovely having you here. I always enjoy our time together. And me too. Learn heaps. All right, so just got another couple of things that are happening in the local area. We've got Healthy Spines Exercise Class, which um, is a gentle exercise program. It's fantastic as your um, to keep your body vital, um, strengthen and lengthen your spine, improve your posture, create a stable core let go of stress and anxiety relax and reconnect to your body so with this one it doesn't really matter your age um the stress and anxieties are really quite an important one i have done work with this organization before they're called soul fit um you can call Stephen to book on zero four two two five three eight four zero nine, or have a look at uh, www.soulfit um, s-o-u-l f dot it 
just to completely confuse you. Um, it confused me, but it's actually a really good website. So have a look. They've got some uh, lots of classes, and sometimes they do them as online classes as well. Um, in the last few shows, we've been talking about lying and the impact lying has on our physical and mental health. I feel there's a level of honesty for us to um, come to in the way we're living that could make an enormous difference here as well, our connection, our awareness and our responsibility. We can't walk away from speaking the truth. What's our reality and is our body matching that reality? Do we have anxiety or nervous tension running our system to a point that we need caffeine, sugar or other stimulants to get out of bed and function? Do we need something to calm us down and settle our minds? How willing are we to make changes in our lives to change the trajectory for physical and mental health? Being honest and supporting each other and getting support from friends and professionals, not a failure. It's a really important part of the success. I have a feeling that if we're brave enough to go there, it will change such an enormous trajectory, particularly for the younger generation who need to be inspired that they can be the change they want to see in the world. Remember that regardless of what has or is happening to you in your life, you are and always will be you and you are amazing. The key is to connect to that space within and to learn to build a relationship with your body so you can recognize when your body is trying to tell you something's not quite right and then seek support with the appropriate support service, be that mental or physical health. And as you know, um, support is available in the local community. The podcast for today's show will be available through the Stay in the Loop with Lucy website and on SoundCloud. And if you'd like to get updates, then remember to like the Stay in the Loop with Lucy Facebook page. Um, Links to all of those spaces are available through the Triple H homepage. So lots of different opportunities to find the show and the podcast. I'll be away next Sunday, but we'll post a show on Facebook to listen to instead. And I'll be back the following Sunday to um, do a show on a um, a meditation that um, a local organization are putting into schools. And I suspect to tell you some funny stories about our sleep out in the car, which we're doing with streetwear confusion. So should you feel like... um, sponsoring me Um, it's part of the homeless awareness week activities and several of the streetwork staff and volunteers are participating in the sleep in your car event in north sydney so um, i will be there rachel young will be there helen banu our executive officer will be there Uh, if you'd like to join us then please get in contact um, with streetwork at the info at streetwork.org.au um, but also if you want to fundraise and help me please go to the sleepinyourcar.com.au website join the Sydney North event find my page and click link and maybe just pass a $10 note my way through that website that would so help at the moment my husband is the only one that's trying to keep me out of the house and pay me $50 to do so. Um, (laughs) um, Thank you so much for being part of the show today. Till next week's show, remember to take a moment to look after you, connect with the amazing people in our community, be kind, be caring, be loved, be all of you. You've been listening to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM 